Welcome everybody to the Tag You're It podcast. I'm Ray Ray, and in this episode, we have the audio from Dave Van Beber's King James Only discussion with Steve Miller on Steve's Unconfused radio program, AM 580 KRFE in Lubbock, Texas. All right, I'm starting your five minutes, David. Okay. The burden of proof this morning rests with Mr. Miller to prove that the KJV is the perfect word of God. Uh, am I to win one argument during our debate? Mr. Miller loses the debate because he has demonstrated his inability to prove perfection. Let me offer you four reasons why the KJV is not perfect. First, the translators did not claim perfection. Next, imperfections due to updates and edits. Next, imperfections regarding the translators and translation. And finally, imperfections in the textual background. Let's look at this first argument of the KJV translators not claiming perfection. Two key statements from the translator's note. First one, other translations, past and present, should be celebrated rather than condemned, having been raised up by God for the building and furnishing of God's church. Next, no translation is perfect, and even the poorest English translation carried by responsible scholars not only contains the Word of God, but is the Word of God. And that last statement is key because it runs in direct contradiction to Mr. Miller's position. Next, imperfections due to updates and edits. Now, for something to be perfect, it should not be changed and cannot be improved upon. This is not the case with the KJV, however. None of you today are holding the original 1611 KJV. Most likely, you're holding the 1769 Blaney revision. Now, according to Jack T. Lewis, Blaney made over 20,000 grammatical and spelling corrections and over 400 word changes to the 1611. How can a perfect text contain so many errors? Blaney also retained the 14 apocryphal books and it wasn't until the 1880s that these apocryphal books were actually officially removed. There is not just one Blaney revision as well. There is actually the Oxford and the Cambridge. There is more than one difference between the two translations. One key one is found in Jeremiah 34:16, where the Oxford reads, Whom he has set at liberty. The Cambridge reads, Whom, he, whom ye had set at liberty. Now in Old English, ye is plural and he is singular. So how do you know which one is right? Well, most scholars would go to the Hebrew text. Mr. Miller, however, cannot do this because he simply has to trust that the KJV Bible he holds in his hand is right. Next, imperfections regarding translators and translation. According to Dan Wallace, the KJV translators were accomplished in classical Greek, but unfamiliar with Koine. This is in part because Koine was not well understood and unfamiliar to many people at that time because Koine was not really well understood until the 1880s and 1900s. Some of this lack of familiarity within the original languages is demonstrated in the inconsistencies in the translation. Jack Lewis notes, the KJV is well known for the large variety of ways in which it translates the same word. One example is found in Genesis 50:20, where the KJV translates the same word thought and meant in the same verse in two different ways. Another example is in Matthew 19.18 and Romans 13.9. One text reads, Thou shalt not murder. The other one says, Thou shalt not kill. Again, same Greek word, except translated differently. Koine, however, is not the only language that the KJV translators struggled with. Robert Adler notes that the 17th century translators, for all their learning, had rather imperfect grasps of Hebrew. They get confused about syntax. They repeatedly miss the nuance or even the meaning of Hebrew, glaring mistranslation. 
are in there. One key one is found in Job chapter 3, verse 8, where the KJV translates the word, luasen, the Hebrew word, to mean morning. The KJV clearly mistranslated this clear reference to the Leviathan and confused it for the Hebrew word meaning funeral. Imperfections in the textual background of the KJV. The KJV translated from seven printed Greek texts, five from Erasmus, one from Stephanus, one from Beza. Now, when Erasmus translated the first copy or the first edition of his Greek translation in 1516, he didn't have access to Revelation 22 in Greek. He couldn't find any, uh, any Greek manuscript that included Revelation 22. According to jo- George Frodley in his biography on Erasmus, Erasmus was unable to get his hands on any accurate Greek or any Greek manuscript that included Revelation 22. So he translated from the Latin Vulgate back into Greek and created a Greek text that looks like no other Greek text for reading a Revelation 22 in the world. The sad thing is, this translation was retained for all five versions of Erasmus's translation, and it continues in the KJV you're holding today. Finally, the Byzantine manuscripts that underlie the KJV, most of them were written before the 5th century. All of the earliest manuscripts are excluded from the KJV in your hands today. For these reasons, the KJV is not perfect. Okay, man, alive. Yeah, that time there perfectly. All righty, let me start my five minutes here. All righty. Well, you know what, man? I, you just about talked me out of my King James there, David, already. So, uh, But I'm going to give it a shot anyway. Uh, first of all, I believe, and I've said this before, on many occasions on this program, I believe that the same sovereign Lord God who is able to inspire His Word to be perfectly written in the first place um, with, obviously, His chosen vessels that were sinful men with sinful hearts, sinful hands, I believe that that same God is more than able to perfectly preserve His Word for us today. And uh, let me dumb this down because... um, I'm a meat and potatoes guy when it comes to talking about this kind of stuff. Um, I believe that as Christians, we have the exact book that the Lord wants us to have. And when I say that, I'm talking about the Bible, the the book. Okay, It's not the Koran. It's not uh, the Book of Mormon, by the way, which I'll hold up here for folks watching on Facebook. The Book of Mormon, I brought this in today. This is not the Word of God. Uh, Amen. And I, you know, I think a lot of this we're on the same page here. Um, I also believe that the book that we have has the exact number of books. We get into this later, maybe, but David brought up about the Apocrypha. And so uh, I don't believe the Apocrypha is in God's Word. In fact, I brought my Catholic Bible in here today, the Dewey Reams Bible, official Catholic Bible, uh, that has extra books in it. Um, out of the apocry- called the apocrypha, and so uh, I don't believe those are God's words. I don't believe they're the the books that God wants in the Bible, and so I believe that I've got the right book. And I say me, I mean all of us have access to it. I think we have the right book. I think, and, and not just the right one, the exact one, the exact books that God wants us to have in that book. And all that's, by the way, by faith. I can't prove it to anybody. I, when I discuss with Catholics or Mormons, I, I can't prove, ultimately, whether I'm right or they're wrong. It's it's by faith. By faith, I accept these things. 
And by faith, I also believe then that the 66 books we have in our Bible uh, have the exact number of chapters and verses. I mean, and, and I'm not talking about the numbering system. I'm just talking about the content, meaning I don't believe there's chunks of those books that are that are missing things that should be in there or that have extra things in there that shouldn't be in there. Um, and again, I can't prove that. I, I, I have to accept it by faith. Uh, we have no originals today, by the way, folks. In case, in case you, know, you don't get anything else, this is an important thing to remember. There is no original Bible sitting around anywhere in a museum. It just it doesn't exist. So when somebody talks about in the originals, nobody, including David, uh, and I'm older than him, so I mean, you know, but none of us have seen the originals because they're, they're not around. And obviously God is sovereign, and God could have perfectly preserved the originals, but he didn't. And so let, let me illustrate this here, and I've, again, for Facebook folks, I think this will be easier. The Book of Mormon, here's what I'm doing with this. I'm throwing it in the trash can. That was pretty easy, okay? That's not the Word of God. And I'll give an account when I stand before God on Judgment Day for doing that, by the way. I don't believe that the apocryphal books are in the Bible, that they belong in the Bible at least. And so here's what I'm going to do. I've got the book of Tobias. Here's my Catholic Bible, and I hope I can get all this done here in my intro. This, I don't believe this book should be in the Bible, so here's what I'm going to do. Okay, I'm going to rip those pages out. So there's Tobias in the trash can because it's not Scripture. It's not the Word of God. Uh, the next one here... The book of wisdom. I don't believe it belongs in the Bible. It's in the Apocrypha. I'm ripping that out. Throwing it in the trash can. Ecclesiasticus is not the Word of God. I'm ripping it out. Throwing it in the trash can. i got 20 seconds to finish the Apocrypha here. The book, the prophecy of Barak, or whoever here, that's in the trash. We're throwing him in there. And then also, First and Second Maccabees. Trash. Here, I'll tear them out together, okay? Because it's kind of hard here. But that it's it's trash. I make no apologies for doing that because you know what? It's not the Word of God. And so I know that's a vivid illustration, folks, but that's the reality of what we're talking about here today. Okay, David, you got your five minutes here now. All right. Three minutes, right? Yes, three minutes. I'm, yeah, okay. thanks. Well, Steve, I'm so grateful again to be able to engage you. I kind of like separating some of the things, I think you and I are on the pay same page on so many things. And I want to affirm very clearly that I believe in the total inerrancy of God's Word, and I want to make one kind of alteration to something that I agree with you that you said, but I also have a little bit of a disagreement. You talked about the original manuscript. I would contend for, to you and to your entire audience, that while we don't have the autograph in our hands, right, in the fact that we don't have of the autographs, right? The oldest piece of manuscript evidence we have is P52 from 85 AD, a little piece of John's Gospel. Um, while we don't have the very first copy of John's Gospel or the book of Acts, brother, we have access to that. I believe that what we have in the vast variety of the manuscript evidence we have when it comes to what we would consider um, the plethora of ancient Greek manuscripts, over 5,700 of them, and then over 20,000 other manuscripts 
ancient manuscripts and other languages, we have access to God's original inspired word. And my problem with the KJV only position is that it undermines that idea because it says a 17th century translation of the Bible done by a bunch of baby baptizing Anglicans is the ultimate authority. And I think that we lose the grasp, we lose our footing to be able to contend for the amazing tenacity of God's awesome providence in uh, preserving His Word. God has preserved His Word. What we have with Scripture is essentially a thousand-piece puzzle with a thousand and ten pieces. And we can put it together, and we can make textual decisions. The beautiful thing is that in 1611, when they took Erasmus's five texts, and they took um, Stephanus's and Beza's, uh, again, those were actually printed Greek texts that they used to translate. I can tell you, without a doubt, Erasmus would have loved to have had access to all of the manuscript tradition that we have. And we have that, brother. We have that. If you today, and uh, um, you have, I don't have a camera on me, but within, our, within just a stone's throw in my personal library, I have my Nessie Allen 27th edition of the Critical Greek New Testament. And it will show me all of the various manuscripts. It will show me um, every single um, ancient manuscript that I have access to. And I can trust God preserved his word, and we know what he said. And that's why I reject the King James-only position. Okay. All right, let me, uh, you had one second left there, but all righty. Let me start my three minutes here. Um, I'll, I'm going to jump right into some things here that I think are interesting, because I said again, I believe we got the right book. Which again, I, which I, I think you agree with that. We got the right books. And we've, we've got the, uh, I, I believe that we've got the right chapters and verses. That we're not missing chapters and verses. Or that we, I don't believe we have extra chapters or verses that, that are in there that shouldn't be in there. Because that's the issue. Before you even get into Greek, it's like when you have a, a, a chapter or a verse, it's like with the books. I mean, th these books I threw in the trash, they, they either are or they aren't Scripture. Um, and how do we know God's preserved us the right books? It's by faith. I cannot prove it to another human being. But I can also look at history and I can say, well, am I going to believe the Catholic Church is correct? Or am I going to believe those that the Catholic Church was persecuting and putting to death for not believing what they believed. I mean, there's some fruit in the actions even of people throughout history that I think prove a lot of this out. But I want to start coming through some scriptures. And Dorothy, I know you're listening there. Put it, go ahead and put up Matthew 17.21. I've got these written out here just again to kind of show up on on Facebook. Matthew 17.21. Uh David, do you believe that's scripture or not? Matthew seventeen twenty one. Yeah, Math that textual. I'm assuming that this is a textual variant. Well, and, I, well, now, and, yeah, and again, yeah. hold. This is still my section here, so let me just as you're yeah. turning there to it, let me read it. And Dorothy's going to put it up yeah. there. She's going to Dorothy's going to put scriptures up on Facebook that are out of the ESV because that's what I noticed on Facebook you use. Um, and so Matthew seventeen twenty one in the King James. 
It says, Howbeit this kind goeth not out by prayer and fasting. And she's got it up there, right? Wait, okay. So, it, it, it is, it, and in the ESV, you'll notice it's not there. Uh, so, is that scripture or not, that verse? Just a simple so, yes or no. Well, not, I mean, just a simple yes or no. It's not that simple when you do textual critical stuff. Well, it, um, and that's not to say that, again, I don't, I believe in the total inerrancy of God's word, um, 100%. So, it's a little bit, it's a little bit more difficult than to say yes or no. Um, I don't have my Nessialan 27th edition in front of me to look at the textual apparatus there, but my assumption would be that in our earliest manuscripts, it's not there. Um, do I know that it's God's Word? Do I have any doubt that God has not preserved His Word? I do 100%. However... Okay, hold, hold on, hold, okay, hold on, hold on, Dave. we got to stop there. That was my three-minute rebuttal period. I was trying to keep yeah, this here. Let me set it. Okay, no, 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 here's the thing. I'm going to set it for your five minutes now, and you can go ahead and you can you can start finishing yeah. up on that there if you want. So, yeah, that's such a great question, and I'll start my timer, too. So, uh, textual variant. This is a key piece. And, and Matthew, um, again, 1721 is, is, a, is a good one. Uh, I would personally, if I was going to be looking at textual variants, I would say, well, what do you think, uh, Brother Dave or Pastor Dave, or you just call me Dave, however, uh, John uh, chapter 5 as the story of the sheep goat. What do you do with that? Well, here's what you do with it. You go to the earliest and best attested manuscript evidence. Now, when you set the King James Version of Scripture as the ultimate authority, you're basically saying that in the 17th century, we had all of the manuscript evidence that we possibly needed forever. Uh, we had everything that we knew. No, again, Erasmus would have loved to have had the end of Revelation 22, the last six verses, but he didn't. Um, in fact, I can tell you that Erasmus, in his editions of the, his five editions, he made textual critical decisions, right? Even the King James, the earliest version, the 1611 version, there were actual textual issues that they would make note of. Textual variants are not something to be afraid of. The way God preserved his word is so beautiful. Nobody was sitting. David? We lost you. He'll have to call back. Okay, yeah, call back, David. Uh, man, somehow on Facebook, let him know there real quick that he got <laughs> cut off there. I don't know what happened on his end. It had to be. Let me just say this while waiting for him to call back. Oh, there he is. Okay, all right. David? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I messed up my time there, but I want to make sure that I'm still being good with time. I'm, I'm only a minute 50 in, so... Um, I'll make sure I get my thought complete. Though. Yeah, your phone, yeah, something happened there. But Okay, go ahead, keep going. Yeah, sorry about that. So, the way God preserved his word is so beautiful. Um, when the Bible was written, when John wrote his gospel, right, he sent that to a church. And people would go, and they would hear, take the book of Romans. Paul sent that to Rome, and, uh, and Phoebe got there and handed it to the folks, and they read it out loud. Well, the great thing about having the book of Rome, Romans, in, in Rome, a lot of people were visiting Rome. So what happened? Some people said, we need to bring that back to our church. And so a guy, probably sitting under candlelight, scratched out on a piece of parchment as much of that as he could get. Now, 
you and I, if we were to copy under this great fluorescent light in our nice, comfortable offices, if we were to copy a manuscript of something, chances are we're going to make an error here or there. We might misspell a word. The same thing happened. God did inspire all Scripture as God breathed. And again, as Peter says, men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit, I believe that 100%. God's Word is an error. But the way God allowed his gospel to get out and the seriousness with which the church took in expanding God's word was to make hand copies. No two hand copies, no two ancient manuscripts look exactly the same. None of the ancient manuscripts that Erasmus had looked exactly the same. He had to make textual decisions. We still have to do that. And what do we do? We go back and look at the most widely attested and the most, uh, yeah, the most widely attested and the most ancient manuscripts to make those decisions. The translation committee of the King James, they made those decisions. If you had your 1611 version of the Bible, you'd actually see that they made notes in the columns about textual decisions that they made. That's how God has always preserved his word. Now, that is the miracle. Because you have to remember, the church, for the first 320 years, was under immense persecution. So some old dude was probably sitting under candlelight, took with a piece of John's gospel, copying a piece to send to his friend. And do you think, as he huddled in the cold and was worried about the Romans breaking down his door, that he got everything copied exactly right? No, there were some variants. But the beautiful thing is, God did promise that his word would last forever, and we can look at that awesome, rich textual evidence to know that we've got God's Word there. So do I call Matthew 21, uh, 17, 21, God's Word? Uh, I would have to look at, again, the textual evidence. But here's what I can say. I know that God preserved His Word. I see that there's a variant there. That is a text that's not, um, not found in a lot of places. So if I'm preaching it, do I have a problem preaching it? No. Do I have a problem saying that God's Word is inerrant and inspired? No. But I recognize that God used human hands to do so. Thank God it was about my... Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's fine. I gave you a couple extra seconds because you got hung up on there. All right, let me, uh, yeah. let, me, let me start mine here. Well, again, you know, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I don't want to let you take all my next five minutes here talking again. So basically, yeah. Matthew 17, 21, David's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's the Word of God or not. Let's move on to Matthew 18, 11. Uh, Dorothy can put that one up there. Matthew 8, by the way, I believe 100%, no questions, no ifs, ands, or buts, no candy and nuts. Matthew 17, 21 is the Word of God. I, I, if you ask me, which I'll ask myself, Steve, do you believe Matthew 17, 21 is Scripture? Yes, absolutely. How do you know? Because it's by faith, I accept that it's been preserved perfectly in the King James Bible. I, that's what I believe. It's a process. I understand all the stuff David said about that, well, this, that, and wasn't in the first thing, and it got added. What? That's why it's a process. Process is the key word. Uh, Matthew 18, 11. Uh, Dorothy put that one up there. Did she get that one up there, Wade? Yeah. Um, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. So, I'm not even going to ask you, David, because I'm guessing your answer is going to be the same. i got to look at this, that, and then I don't know. I have to get back with you. 
right? So correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I mean, Matthew... No, that's not what I'm saying. That, that's, oh, well, go ahead. Don't tell me what you're saying then on that. Matthew 18, 11. What I'm saying is, what did Matthew, what did Matthew actually say? What is that? That's is what I'm saying. Is that script? Did he say that or not? Did he say that or not? Is that is that the word of God? Was that inspired? Again, I would go back to the closest ancient manuscript. So the, the old is, the oldest manuscript. I would go back to the textual evidence as to why we would put that in there. Okay. Again, why why would you throw out again? You're 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 simplifying and misrepresenting what I'm saying. I don't oh, care. No, no. Hold on. Wait, hold on. Let me know. Excuse my five minutes here. Just No, I don't want you answering that long on that. You can answer on your section. Uh, no, I'm not simplifying. Uh, I'm All I'm doing... Well, yeah, I am simplifying. But but I'm I'm also just making this so crystal clear for people to see because th this is... Th most people out there listening don't know Greek and Hebrew. Um, they, they barely know English here in West Texas. In probably Missouri too, we could say the same thing. So, you know, people out there, it just it it becomes all this. Oh well, I guess whoever knows Greek the best is who I'm going to listen to. Well, folks, I mean, the issue is not who knows Greek the best here. What we're talking about here is was this in the Greek or not? So we're not even talking about how you translate it. We haven't even gotten that far, at least on my end of the discussion, because what good is it? do you to say, well, I don't think they translated this correctly. What good does that do? Let's take the Apocrypha back out of the trash. The issue is not, did they translate something properly? The issue is, is it Scripture in the first place? So Matthew, this is not misrepresenting anything. This is just the ABCs. This is foundational here, folks. Matthew seventeen twenty one. Is it Scripture or not? Matthew 18:11 is it scripture or not? Matthew 23:14 you're going to have the same issue there to put one that up there door with him it's going to kind of keep going through these as we have time on the program here Matthew 23:14 says woe unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for ye uh, devour widows houses and for a pretense make long prayer therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation uh, I think I got that right on there. Is that what she has weighed, Matthew 23, 14? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, that is either in the, the Greek, or it's not. And it has nothing to do with translation, what we're talking about here. In the ESV, Dorothy put that up on Facebook, the ESV, which claims to have, by the way, the right Greek text that David's talking about here, Codex Sinaiticus or Codex Vaticanus from the 1800s, well, basically that's when... Codex Vat uh, Sinaiticus was discovered. Uh, Vaticanus, just like the name implies, from the Vatican. Unless you have a library card to the Pope's library, you, you're not going to be able to go read that. But uh, Codex Sinaiticus is the one that modern scholars Google over and, 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 and drool over and say, this is the oldest manuscript from the 4th century, along with Vaticanus. And that's what they're saying. Oh, this wasn't in that manuscript, so it's not scripture. So you're, you're five minutes, David. Yeah, so a few things, and I'll try to be, again, very clear. What you've basically done, Steve, is you have said that the King James Version of the Bible got it right 100% perfect. Yeah. A claim that neither Erasmus made, a claim that neither the translators made. Yeah. Now, what you have failed to recognize is that we've identified multiple 
different manuscripts, newer manuscripts. They would have loved to have had those things. They made textual decisions. They never claimed inspiration in doing that. In fact, again, going back to my original statement, what did they say? They said other translations should be commended. No translation is perfect. Even the poorest translation carried out by responsible scholars only contains the word, not only contains the word of God, but is the word of God. What you're doing, Steve, is you're setting up this argument that the King James scholars didn't set up themselves. You've made a massive error. Now, I would ask you about a few texts, too. Uh, if you had your Bible there in front of you, how about First John? Uh, excuse me. I'm trying to remember here. Uh, Titus chapter uh, 2, verse 13. Familiar with Titus chapter 2, verse 13 yeah, at well, all? Let me, yeah, well, I've got it memorized, so I'm pretty familiar with it, yeah. Okay, go ahead and, and kick it off on your memory. Well, I've got to start at the beginning of the chapter, so for time's sake, I'll just look at verse 13. That's right. I remember. Yeah. I, I well, all right. Titus so 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Why did you remove what it said there uh, in Titus 2.13 about our great God and Savior? The blessed hope and the appearing of our great God. And I, well, I didn't. If I did, I didn't do it on purpose. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what I said. Yeah. Okay. You didn't memorize it there in the King James. Yes. NJV doesn't doesn't apply. The Yeah, the Granville Sharp does not apply that uh, text there. Well, I mean, it we'll says, it. looking, and let me read it, make sure I didn't quote it yeah, wrong, please, looking please. for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Savior, Jesus Christ, our Savior, the great God. And our and Savior. Yeah, that's why I said yeah, when I, it's I placed Jesus. I, It's Jesus. It's Jesus there. But it's you, and the KJV, it's two people, our great God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. No, it doesn't say and the Savior and our Savior. No, and it's... No, it doesn't. The great God and our Savior. Right. The great God and our Savior. Yeah. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is not two different people. Blessed be the God and Father. Okay, right? That's the same person. Jesus Christ is who it's talking about. The great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's all talking about Him. Much clearer because we're able to use the Granville Sharp construction. But that doesn't have to do with what's clear. That's what it says in the King James Bible, and I believe it's exactly the way God wants it to be. So you know more than the King James scholars do about their own translation? I just believe it. But you know more than they do about their own translation. Well, I don't even, I don't even know what you're talking about. What I, I mean, I just know what it says. You're making, I, a claim, you're making a claim for their translation that it's perfect. They never made that claim speak. Okay, but Peter Again, didn't make the claim that what he wrote was inspired because he didn't know it was inspired when he wrote it. Uh, no, Peter did. Um, how about what he says in First Peter when he talks about men carried along by the Holy Spirit? Again, you know the Greek there. That's graphic. He certainly did claim to be uh, inspired by God's Word. Uh, inspired by no, the Holy I'm, what, no, what I'm saying he there is that... He certainly did, and he no. knew the character of God, brother. And so he certainly was being very clear about men be men carried along by the Holy Spirit in first in Second Peter chapter one twenty one. No, he knew he was writing scripture, and he makes it pretty clear. No. Uh, all who wrote scripture was in that. So no, that's a claim that he certainly did. No, what I'm talking about there, Peter, when he talks about First Peter one, he's talking about Old Testament prophets. That I mean, guys in the Old Testament did not know at the time. 
but what they were saying was scripture. I mean, I'm just saying there that that's there, there's sure? sometimes. Well, here, well, what I'm saying is that sure? sometimes they may have, but there's no way that every single time oh. they did. Well, no, false. I would tell you that that is very wrong. Um, you can look at again what Peter says about Paul's writing in Second Peter chapter three, verse sixteen, where he says right. again, as he does in all of his letters, he speaks to them on these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do with other scripture. Right. Yeah. No. What does Peter say? Uh, excuse me. What does Paul say again? And uh, jumping over to First Corinthians, where at the end he says, "You know, you take what I say as it is a command from God." Again, um, he is being very clear there in the fact that uh, you would listen to what he's say as a command from God. It's uh, not, it's a fallacy to say that. All right, well, let me, let, me, okay, let, me get, let me start my five minutes here, okay? Um, here, here's the deal. Paul, let me clarify again what I was talking about there over in 1 Peter 1, that uh, that the, the people in the Old Testament, they, they it says that he says there, they're searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when they testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that shall follow. And to whom it is revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did administer the things which they write unto you. So the point is Old Testament writers of Scripture often didn't, they didn't even know what they were saying. And I'm just saying that very possibly, I'm not saying all the time, but that I'm sure there were times where after they wrote something, or said something they may not have necessarily known it was a thus saith the Lord. When the New Testament books are being written, Paul makes reference uh, in 1 Corinthians 5 to the fact that he's already written to the Corinthians. Well, obviously that's not in our Bible, and a lot of people freak out about that and think, well, should we have another epistle from Paul, and should there be 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Corinthians? Well, no. So he wrote a letter, but obviously it didn't get put in the collection of books and that was again key word a process that Paul may not have even understood at the time he wrote those first three books that's my point nobody can prove it is my what I'm saying nobody can prove that Paul knew when he wrote first Corinthians oh this is going to be the first book that is inspired that I've written, and the first book I wrote wasn't inspired. I don't think he knew that yet at that time. Yes, by the time Peter writes in Second Peter 3, Peter understands some things because time had started passing, and, and the Holy Spirit was confirming with people in the, new, in the first century, hey, you know what? This, uh, I think this is Scripture. I think this is on par with Old Testament Scripture. Well, that, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on. This is a process, folks. That's the whole point of this. It's not like God parachuted down a list from heaven of which books should be in the Bible. That was debated, and by the way, it should have been debated for several hundred years. What books should be included in Scripture? That's That was a legitimate debate 2,000 years ago. My point is, folks, it's not a legitimate debate today. You know, it, it, there's no debate. It shouldn't be about what books we have in our Bible. And back to the thing that I'm trying to get across today, and, and, and I don't think I'm going to convince David of this, but I just hope that you out there listening and watching this can discern this, is that, folks, if you, if you start reading your Bible, 
And, and Dorothy put up there, let's put a bigger section up here uh, just for time's sake because we're not going to have time to go through all these. Uh, Mark chapter 16, the very last chapter in Mark, uh, verse 9 to 20. Go ahead and put that up there, Dorothy, uh, if you will. Pretty lengthy passage. Um, the ESV, once again, and I'm not misrepresenting it, but Mark 16, 9 to 20, that whole passage, that's half a chapter, over half a chapter, in fact. The, the ESV, now they put it there, unlike these other instances where they just take it out. And you can look at those examples that Dorothy's put up on Facebook and see it. But the, the ESV, what it does is um, it simply puts it in there and put, puts brackets around it. And then the notation there states that this isn't in the oldest manuscripts. Or sometimes they'll say it's not in the best manuscripts because that's what David is basically equating that if it's older it's better which by the way well that's the assumption that scholars are making oh this was written in the fourth century so it has to be better well folks that takes away from one problem and or that takes one problem out of the equation and that's the problem and the issue of intentional manipulation of the scriptures which we we almost act like the devil's not involved in history and that the devil wasn't doing things and pushing buttons and trying to take things out that didn't belong or that did belong or adding things that didn't belong. And so Mark 16, 9 to 20, David, should that be in Scripture or not? So a few different things. I would tell you again, you've misrepresented me. What I'm saying is I want to know what Mark actually wrote. I don't want to know what some Anglican decided should go in or some Catholic guy decided should be put in. What do you do with the uh, Kamiya Johannium, right? Erasmus, when he writes his first edition. Oh, but you got three You got three minutes. Done. I'm sorry, hey, Dave, you got three minutes there, cause I'll just, and that's going to push pretty close to the end of the program, so go ahead and take three minutes. What do you do with the Kamiya Johannium? First John chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, right? Yeah, There's absolutely. I believe it's Scripture. I believe it's Scripture, yeah. So you believe that nobody had access to God's Word until um, the 14th century? When Erasmus um, somehow found it in a uh, in a in a Latin manuscript, there are no Greek manuscripts. So the problem is, you have elevated God's. You have elevated the translation done by a group of Anglicans who did not have access to near as many manuscripts as we have today. You've said that they had the perfect standard. There's nothing in Scripture that would tell you that you're supposed to do that with a translation. Again, English didn't even exist in the time that the uh, Bible was written. Further, you said here today that, of course, Paul didn't know that he was writing Scripture, and uh, Peter didn't know he was writing Scripture. Very, very interesting. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, Paul quotes from Luke chapter 10, verse 7, and Deuteronomy 25, 4, calling them both scripture. Right, because by that time he knew they were, right. Wait a second, though. Did Luke know he was writing scripture? Probably not. We don't know. Again, you you remove the historical background of the Jewish community. They were people of the book. They knew, and I would point you to what Michael Kruger says so clearly, they knew they were writing scripture. See, the problem is here, Steve, you've never proven today by any means that the King James Version of the Bible is perfect. There's been all kinds of additions 
Again, you've never told me, do you use a 1611? Do you use the Cambridge edition, the Oxford edition? There's a big difference between those. The 1769 Blaney Review. What do you use, Steve? Do you use the 1611? Yes or no? Well, I already told you no, because we talked about that online. The 1769. Okay, Cambridge or Oxford? The, the Bible I have here is Cambridge. Okay, so you've thrown away every other Oxford one. But Oxford is obviously not God's Word, because they definitely messed up uh, in their translation, right? They've, they've totally jacked this up. Uh, in, of course, uh, the Oxford edition, when it comes to Jeremiah 34.16, Oxford edition is wrong. Nobody in your church should use the Oxford. The Oxford needs to be condemned. So... I didn't. I didn't. You know what? I didn't say that today, David. Because we're we're at it. We're we're basically we got you got twenty seconds left, and it's my time. Why did the apostasy have to be removed? You've elevated their position. Why are you being inconsistent? You can't prove that it's right because it's been amended in sixteen eleven. Again, you've got a different version, and so it's an imperfect. And they didn't even claim that it would be perfect. They said that there was no perfect translation. You've yet to prove that that is something that, again, has ever been established, that the King James Version is perfect. Well, and demonstrated... It, go for it. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be rude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and again, demonstrated folks... that there's textual variation that didn't exist, well, did exist, but weren't discovered, and then you said, well, that's it for all time. No other translation is right. doesn't matter that we don't include the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, so, again, today, I would say the debate depends upon this one thing. You haven't demonstrated that there's a better textual backing. You've certainly not demonstrated that it can be perfect, because you either have to say the KJV translators didn't know what they were talking about. And likewise, you've not worked through why there are all these changes that had to happen. All right, David, here, i got I got to wrap it up here. Okay, folks, yeah, again, what, just to give my last couple of minutes here, conclusion here, or a minute and a half. Um, by faith... I believe the Bible I have in my hands, it, this, is, this is as far as I've taken it today for this discussion's sake. I believe that every book in here is the right book that's supposed to be in here. I believe every chapter is in here that's supposed to be in here. There's not extra ones. There's not ones missing. And I believe that every verse in here... Okay, we're not even getting into the words and the translation today, folks. We're talking about are these verses that I've mentioned here. Mark 7, 16, Matthew 23, 14. Uh, we didn't even get into these others here. I mean, good grief. John 7, or John 5, 3 and 4, Acts 8, 37, Acts 9, 5 to 6, Acts 24, 6 to 8, John 7, 53 to 8, 11. All those, folks. Um, you know, are they Scripture or not? David doesn't have a clue. So that's the issue there for where he's at. So, all right, folks, we got to stop there for today. Until next time.